1: Good morning, everybody. This is Lucian Smith, in for Gerard Gibbard here on Middays with Gerard Gibbard on Super Talk, Mississippi. Uh, we're coming to you live from the Element Wealth Studios. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myElementWealth.com or call six oh one-nine five seven six zero zero six to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income growth and guarantees. Well, thanks for letting me be here with you. I look forward to spending the next 3 hours here with you. How are you doing this morning, Will?
3: I am good. Rhino is also out for a little bit today, so uh, you got the scrubs in here, the bullpen well, as it is. You, you got you got the B team on my side, but I you know, I, I think I, I think you can keep up with Rhino. I don't know about all that.
1: Well, it's good uh, It's good to be with you. We've got a, a great show for you over the next three hours. Tim Vermeer, uh, who is a senior policy analyst with the Tax Foundation, will be here at 1020. Mississippi's done a lot, uh, as you all know, over the course of the last uh, several years, but especially last year in the legislative session, to make us a more competitive place in terms of our income tax. And so it'll be interesting to talk to him about what uh, he thinks about uh, the work that's been done in Mississippi, what work needs to be done over the course of this legislative session and in future years Uh, and then at 1105 we've got Steve Azar, uh, host of In a Mississippi Minute, um, uh, obviously a great musician and Mississippi's music and cultural ambassador. It's been 20 years uh, since the release of his song "Till Monday," uh, which he has re-released, I think, this week. I, and I've heard the old version. I've not heard the new version of it. Have you? Have you heard the new one?
3: I've, he released it, I guess, yesterday because that was technically the 20th anniversary. I've not heard the new one, but I think it's a spinoff of "I Don't Have to Be Me Till." Monday exactly which was I was in the music business for a long long time and that song was the top one of the top five most played country songs of the 2000s I didn't know that I mean I like the song I didn't know it was I didn't know that one 80 uh, something 1980 um, something that song by I can't even remember the guy who sang that one uh, marks his name escapes me but anyway um, yeah, it was top five, which that still blows me away that I speak to this guy on a regular. I talked to Steve yesterday. In fact, it blows me away on a regular basis that you know you, you're speaking with somebody who had a top five song, yeah, for a whole decade.
1: Oh, that's right, that's right. That's a neat part of uh, neat part of working at Super Talk and being here. Some of the people you you engage with. You I never was know. telling Perez this. I, I almost never see. I mean, I. I the The hosts who are here, you know, in the in the daily shows, I see a fair amount, but I almost never see the the lawyers who do the Monday nine o'clock show. And so the one time I saw them, I was kind of struck with you know celebrity walking out in the green room. <laughs> I was like, I, I listen to you on the radio. I, I'm Lucian Smith. I want to introduce myself. And but you know everybody else, it's, you know, we see each other all the time. See Paul, uh, see Gerard. But uh, but those folks I don't run into all yeah. that often and then at uh, noon we've got ken newberger the executive director of the mississippi medical marijuana association coming to talk about uh, where that program is that we should and we'll talk to ken more about it as i appreciate it start having sales uh sometime potentially in the first quarter of next year the the legislature fully made it legal last year i know a lot of companies are rushing to get that done um so it should be a good show hope you'll hope you'll stick with us and it'll be a good conversation to uh, to have with Ken Newberger. So, uh, we got the legislature here in about mid uh, mid session form, so we'll uh, we got plenty going on here in this election year. And if you want to be part of the conversation, join us at 601-879-4395. And it will I, it's been the uh the the Biden document stuff just gets worse and worse. And I think a lot of people are angry about it. I know I'm one of them because it's so rare you get to see this sort of Washington hypocrisy happen in real time. I mean, normally you've got to say, oh, why? you know, back when they raided Trump's uh, when they raided Mar-a-Lago over the summer, people had to point back to the Hillary Clinton emails to point to the, the most recent sort of example of how powerful Democrats get treated differently uh, than than Republicans do. But now these two things are basically going on at the same Isn't it time. The
3: strangest thing.
1: Well, it, you know, it's terrible the double standard, but it really is kind of wonderful. I think that you're getting the double standard exposed in in absolute real time because you know most people, understandably, don't just dwell in politics, and that's a, that's a good and healthy thing. I mean, if your primary identification is I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, and not. I'm an American, I'm a Christian or a Muslim or whatever you happen to be. That's probably not a good thing. I mean, I'm 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 as Republican as you get, I'm as conservative as you get, but but I like to think the first thing I think about myself is I'm an American, but but most people don't have time. To sit there and study every political story that comes out to go back and research it historically. You know, they've got to get their kids to school. They got to get their kids to sports. They got to get to their job. They got to make sure they're paying all their bills. And so, you know, people don't have time to dwell on it, but this is kind of great because I think people are going to get to watch the hypocrisy that's coming out of so many levels. And the the biggest example, I think, and and obviously you can talk about what the FBI did with Trump as opposed to uh, with Biden or what the DOJ did. But the biggest example to me is just the the dual treatment from the media. Because you'll remember last summer when the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago, the reason they did it was because ostensibly Trump had a bunch of documents that were classified that he had taken with him to Mar-a-Lago. And there was this breathless coverage in the media of how terrible it was and you had
3: speculation too is he selling these documents is he using these for blackmail is he you know holding these documents hostage in some way all this kind of stuff from mainstream media from
1: mainstream media it was crazy the, the one that stuck out to me the most was where they suggested maybe he'd taken the nuclear codes well the nuclear codes are not like your Wi-Fi password. I mean, Trump, Trump can't call... Uh,
3: Hashtag the, one, two, three, exclamation it, point. Exactly.
1: He, he can't call the Pentagon and say, you know, fat kitty one, two, three, four, exclamation point, and we drop bombs on Beijing. Like, that's that's not how this works. But the media clearly wanted you to think that maybe he was selling these secrets to Iran, uh, to, to or, Iran yeah. or to the Chinese or, you know, some, some enemy of the U.S., but... You know, I listened yesterday. I, I had to borrow a car uh, because my truck is broken, and the radio was set. Should have been set Super Talk, but it wasn't my car. It was <laughs> it was set to a fairly liberal radio station. And when I cranked the car up, and I ended up listening to it for a while it was national radio uh, explaining how common it is for classified documents especially with senior officers of the government to end up in their house and how yes. it wasn't it shouldn't be a source of stress that if you were a junior person you know you were probably going into a secure facility what they call a skiff and you couldn't take anything out with you but you know if you're the vice president Things are coming across your desk all the time. So it's very easy that you'd have this confidential classified document, and it would just accidentally get slipped in with some others as you go home. It's nothing totally nothing to normal. worry about. Yeah. Whereas with Trump, they told us how the, the, the whole country's safety was at risk because yeah. he had taken these documents home. And I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, right? I mean – it, it, people have been talking about – I mean, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who's been dead for 20 years, was writing about this almost 50 years ago, that Washington has this overclassification problem where low-level bureaucrats, to feel special, classify things because then they're the only guy who's able to read you know, one of these documents and regular people can't do it. And I think what probably ends up happening is some of, you know, people like the president or the vice president inadvertently do take documents uh, home with them. Or sometimes they probably say, look. This is a, And this is one of the things people have speculated was one of the nuclear documents that Trump had. You know, they take home the letter that Kim Jong-un sent to Trump. Now, I, I doubt the letter that Kim sent to Trump has some super secret information in it that's going to destroy American national security. It's some sort of letter. It's been classified. The guy wants to keep it. Uh, at his house, he had the authority as president to declassify the document. Probably gonna write a book, right? Exactly. And plus, he likes mementos. I mean, yeah, it, it, he's probably it, gonna frame that and put it up on the wall. It, almost anybody who's left a job that they liked takes some sort of memento with them. Hopefully, it's a legal memento. Hopefully, it's you know one of these super talk cups that I keep yeah. seeing around here. Not you know something of value, but. You know, I think that's probably what happened with Trump. Hopefully it's what happened with Biden. But, you know, the questions with Biden are much more complicated because, A, he was vice president, so he didn't have the general authority to declassify that a president has. But secondly, unlike Trump, he seems to be, at least whether it's, you know, directly at some of his think tanks uh, where some of these documents were located – you know, through the work Hunter Biden may or may not work may not be the right word, but money was coming from foreign interests who would clearly have a desire to take a look at these documents. I mean, I think that the questions about Biden are much more serious than the questions about Trump, but I don't think there's any doubt that you're seeing in real time that if you're a, if, if you are a member of the right party and you believe in the right kind of thinking, According to the establishment, Deep State in Washington, you get treated differently than if you're somebody who's not part of that uniparty establishment who's trying to push a a center-left or far-left agenda. But uh, you could talk about this for three hours. I imagine we'll talk about it some more, uh, but plenty of great stuff coming up. Next, we've got Tim Vermeer from the Tax Foundation to talk about all the good things that have happened in Mississippi and the good work uh, that still needs to be done. This is Lucian Smith in for Gerard Gibbert here on Middays on Super Talk Mississippi.
0: Well, well, well! Check it out. Let's do this. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Midday's with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. One, Let me tell you how it will be. There's
1: one for you, nineteen for me. Good morning, everybody. This is Lucian Smith uh, in for Gerard Gibbert today uh, on midday's here on Super Talk Mississippi. Uh, coming to you live from the Element Wealth Studios, uh, we're uh, coming to you live here. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com my dot com or call six zero one nine five seven six zero zero six to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, uh, and guarantees. Well, with us uh, here by telelink is uh, Tim Vermeer with the Tax Foundation. How are you doing, Tim?
4: Hey, great, Lucian. I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me this morning.
1: Well, appreciate you being here with us. Now, tell us a little bit about the Tax Foundation and what uh, what you all do.
4: The Tax Foundation is a nonpartisan uh, tax policy research organization. And so really what we're looking at doing is promoting, um, kind of educating lawmakers, um, taxpayers in general on the benefits of simple neutral transparent simple tax policy that does uh the least amount of damage to the economy while still funding government at the same time
1: Uh, have y'all is that do you work at both the federal and the state level or is this mostly focused on uh state level policies
4: we have a federal team and a state team uh state teams who i work for and um yeah, spent quite a bit of last year following the good things that were happening down in Mississippi. Yeah, so how
1: – I mean, I know there was a obviously a massive discussion last year, big political fight. As I, I suspect there is any time you want to do anything meaningful. Um, did you all have a position on what the best outcome would have been for Mississippi or what the best outcome tax-wise would be for any, any state?
4: Yeah, so I'm sure you tracked uh, as close as anybody – the developments that happened earlier in the year, they had uh, put a put forward a proposal that was going to repeal the uh, individual income tax in its entirety. Uh, we we were pre- somewhat critical of that position um, because we thought that there were some important components in there that would limit um, government's ability to deliver services in the future. One of those things was that it had capped the Uh, growth of the general fund uh, to one and a half percent, which was uh, below uh, inflation. So even on a good day, even when inflation is hitting the Fed's 2% target, that means that year over year, Mississippi's purchasing power uh, as a state government would diminish. And so that was one of the things that we thought uh, was a problem. The other thing was that it had a structure that was going to be really unwieldy. Um, there were better ways to try to lower or eliminate the uh, the income tax than increasing the personal exemption to you know, $75,000 for a married family.
1: So what would, obviously it's difficult to deal with any of these issues because people have, you know, once these systems get put in place, people have organized their businesses around them, have made, have expectations, um, and so there's always a constituency that's pushing back. When you've got, you know, real meaningful reform, you know, if we were starting from scratch, uh, what, what would be the tax structure that a state like Mississippi really ought to put in place?
4: yeah I think ideally the rate would be uh, lo- as low as you could could afford to do it uh, it would apply pretty broadly you would not uh, want to favor one particular constituency over another and I think that was one of the good things that came out of last year's reform was that uh, rather than carve out large uh, chunks of the tax base it it set forward a plan that would eliminate the 4% marginal rate, which it did, and now you have a flat 5% rate that applies uh, across the tax base, and there's a plan to reduce that in the future, which I think is going to be really helpful for Mississippi going forward.
1: Well, And that was, I know, one of the big discussions. I mean, my sense in talking to the leadership is that everybody wanted to get to everyone was supportive of eventually completely eliminating the income tax, at least at at the the top end of the of the leadership. The question was was more about the timing of it and whether it made sense to pass legislation that completely eliminated it with a phase out, or whether we should go with the the cut last year, which was, as I appreciated, the largest cut in Mississippi history, and then come back and revisit it uh, down the line. I mean, do you have a sense of, uh, or do you all sort of think about the timing of these cuts and how we did last year on on how we thought through that?
4: <laughs> Yeah, I think that that's the trend that we see in most states that do income tax reductions um, or even eliminations is that there's a, almost always a phased approach to that where taking things kind of in one... Uh, if you're tr- going to try to eat the elephant all at once, so to speak, that usually doesn't end very well. You like to do that in uh, kind of smaller chunks if you can. For one thing, it gives you an opportunity to kind of reassess as things go along because what you don't want to do... Is uh, there were some criticisms? I think um, uh, you know, somewhat rightly, maybe a little bit overblown about uh, Mississippi being being like Kansas, right? Where, uh, several years ago, Kansas had passed this extremely large tax cut and then found themselves with a whole bunch of unfunded um, liabilities. And, and Kansas uh, did kind of do
1: it all at once, right? They they eliminated it without it, a slow phase in.
4: Right, and there were some other kind of extenuating circumstances there that make things really difficult there. But they did kind of go whole hog uh, on the on tax reform, and uh, it just probably would have been a better um, design if they had done that incrementally. And so, I think Mississippi's in a good place.
1: Well, um, that is certainly good to hear. Um, One of the big discussions now, you know, Mississippi's got, I think we're going to have a billion-dollar surplus on a a $6 billion general fund budget. What's the – there's going to be talk, there already is talk about whether we should let the income tax plan from last year work for a few years or whether we ought to go ahead and increase the speed with which things are are eliminated. I mean, what – what are y'all's thoughts, or, or what are your thoughts on the best way to approach that? Where whether we're better off, you know, going ahead and speeding it up, or, or taking a somewhat slower approach?
4: Yeah, I think that you're hitting on something really important. and that's that tax competitiveness really matters, and um, so if you can advance that scheduled uh, reduction, I think if you if the state can do that responsibly, uh, if the state can still. You know, you know, afford to pay all of its other bills and, and everything on, on time and um, then go ahead. I mean, Arkansas did that uh, twice in the last t- two years where they've accelerated reforms that they had uh, previously kind of strung out over the period of four or five years. Um, that just happened recently in a special session they held at the end of last year. Um, so if the revenue is there to reduce that rate, I think, that'll be a really big benefit for Mississippi. The important thing is uh, for economic growth is is not so much the intermediate um, tax rates, like that four percent rate that the state just reduced, uh, just eliminated. But it's the uh, the top marginal rates um, that really make a difference to businesses that are looking at what's going to happen to their next dollar of income.
1: And do you all track, or, or I assume you at least think about? And I think your comment there sort of illustrates this point. But I mean, I assume that businesses, that the tax structure of a state plays a non zero role in a business's decision to either locate a, in a state or, or expand its existing operations in a state. I mean, how, how important do you think tax structure is as these business generators decide where they're going to be?
4: Yeah, and there's a lot of reasons why. Why a firm or why a family will locate in a particular state. They've all got different, a different basket of preferences, right? And there's reasons why, uh, certain corporations are willing to locate in New York City despite having one of the highest tax rates in the country. I mean, they've got access there to, um, the world financial markets. There's a lot of reasons why people will be able to, willing to pay this. Um, and so a lot of these decisions, they happen on the margin for people. It's a matter of, um, You know are we you're not deciding necessarily what whether you're going to lure uh bmo bank to jackson but it makes a difference whether or not people end up in birmingham you know or or in mississippi right um a lot of these small businesses they're they're trying to make it they're trying to um every dollar counts and so that matters to them um especially if you're living in a border county
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense where a percentage point here or a percentage point there could could make a big difference um so, in, as we sort of go forward as a state, I mean, do, do y'all? I mean, is is the total elimination of the income tax? Assuming that we can do it, well, I tell you what, we're we're coming up on a, a break, Tim. You got time to stick with us for a, a few more minutes?
4: Absolutely, happy to.
1: Sounds great. We'll we'll get you after the break here. This is Lucian Smith in for Gerard Gibbard on midday's on Super Talk Mississippi. Stick with us for more conversation with Tim Vermeer of the Ta- Tax Foundation. Good morning, everybody. This is Lucian Smith in for Gerard Gibbert here on Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Coming to you live from the Element Wealth studio, are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Well, we're continuing our discussion here with Tim Vermeer of the Tax Foundation about Uh, tax policy in in mississippi and around the country if you'd like to be part of the conversation join us on the c spire text line at 601-879-4395 but remember please don't uh don't text and drive as you're joining that conversation uh so tim do you cover a a specific set of states or are you part of the state team and and all for all 50 of us no
4: i cover about 12 states right now okay on our team
1: and do you do you think i mean how is mississippi if you were to and don't let me put you in an uncomfortable position but i mean if you had to rank where mississippi is among your 12 or among the 50 i mean how are we where we need to be Are we uh do we have a long way to go how would you how would you describe our our tax structure here
4: well, I'll tell you this: the Tax Foundation has a helpful tool, the State Business Tax Climate Index, that we rely on pretty heavily to make a lot of these comparisons. And so, before these reforms uh, that went into effect, uh, before they took before they took effect, Mississippi was right in, um, right about thirtieth overall. Its tax structure was, you can think about that as the thirtieth most competitive tax structure in the United States. Uh, When this reform, the income tax reform is completely phased in, in 2026, it'll be the 19th most competitive uh, tax structure in the country overall. So that's a really big gain. And so when I say that there were good things that happened uh, with this tax reform bill, uh, you know, that's the truth. And uh, you can think about where um, Mississippi ranks, where its top rate ranks um, across all the other states that have an income tax. And uh, when it gets down to um, when it gets down to four, it'll be at um, sixth. Oh wow. it'll be the sixth lowest tax, uh, income tax, in the country among states that levy one of those taxes. That's
1: so. As you look towards the twenty three session, I, I know are there specific things you think Mississippi ought to be doing this legislative session as we continue thinking about the way to have the right tax structure for, for the state?
4: I think building on the reforms from last year is a good place to start. I think that taking a look at whether or not the budget can, uh, sustain an acceleration down to, I've heard, you know, 3.75, 3.5. Take a look at that. I, I will say, um, at 20 in, in 2026 um, when this uh, current um, rate is reduced to four it'll Mississippi will already have um, the lowest income tax among all southern states uh, that levy a tax Of course it doesn't include Florida which doesn't have uh, individual income tax but um, a lot of other states are seeing what Mississippi is doing and they're trying to compete as well. So if you can edge that down even into the, into the threes, I think that'll help. Um, I think it would be helpful also to look at some things in the corporate sector too. Um, we talked about the, the full expensing of capital investment for corporations. That's something I think Mississippi could get on board with that would really promote uh, a modernization of, of um, industry.
1: And, and, un- and uh, unpack and that a little bit for us, Tim. Explain yeah. explain to our listeners, if you would, what you mean by allowing people to fully expense th- those capital expenditures.
4: Sure. So when a corporation invests, um, prior to 2017, there was a pretty complicated depreciation schedule. They could deduct all of their expenses for investment in machinery or what have you um, that was part of the business, um, but they did that over a period of decades usually. and so what they ended up what you'd do is you would take your uh, business revenue and you'd subtract the cost of that investment and then you'd pay taxes on what's left. But you're paying that investment in that in that capital asset this year, the same year that you're making money. So really when you offset those, You should have a tax liability of probably close to zero in those years. Um, What the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2017 did was allow corporations to expense 100% of uh, those capital investments in the year the investment was made. So right now, or in 2022, firms in Mississippi could do that on their federal return. They couldn't do that on their state return. Um, But even at the federal level now, you're starting to see a phase out. So um, states that were really benefiting from a lot of influx and investment. Um, corporations are going to probably start to um, alter some of their behavior uh, that way if if, the, if Congress doesn't do anything, which is probably unlikely right now. Mississippi, I think, could really benefit from um, passing a full expensing provision that allows those states to... Um, Spend that money on modernizing their equipment because it all drives productivity, and productivity is highly correlated with wages and salaries. So you want to bump up wages and salaries for um, working uh, men and women in Mississippi pass the full expensing provision.
1: Uh, that's a that's a great uh, great point you make. I, I think people forget, especially now, that so many of the big business generators in the in the country are multi you know entities that operate in multiple states. They've got a fixed amount of capital they can spend across their footprint and they're going to figure out where's where's the best return on invested capital uh, among those states and, and I assume that the tax policy across the states is one of the things they take into consideration as they figure out where to deploy that capital.
4: Absolutely. Yeah, we talk about um, those financial to, um, resources as, as acting like water, right? They flow to the lowest point and uh, they tend to generate the greatest return on investment in those areas and they take, that, they take a lot of these kind of below the fold, kind of uh, not headline-grabbing policies um, into account. It's not something that maybe most taxpayers, most voters uh, think about or really probably understand a whole lot, um, but businesses have whole departments that just focus on uh, how competitive is their industry going to be or is their firm going to be in a particular state. Um, They spend all day looking at this kind of stuff. So I think um, Mississippi forgoes that provision kind of at their peril.
1: Well, and I I appreciate, you know, all the work that uh, Chairman Harkins in the Senate and Chairman Lamar uh, in the House have done uh, so far on this. I know they're both committed to making us as competitive as we can be as are. Lieutenant Governor Hosman and, and Speaker Gunn, what are the other what what other things ought we be thinking about to make Mississippi on the tax front as competitive as possible? I I, I realize taxes aren't a a panacea, but but what other things ought we be thinking about here?
4: Yeah, I think another thing um, would probably be the way that that uh, Mississippi deals with remote workers, um, and. You know reciprocity agreements. I think are probably another good um, thing for states to consider, where um, you can get a, a uh, credit against your taxes for what you've paid to other states. I mean, if we talk about um, the the impact of remote work after that pandemic, that's here to stay, and um, which is another reason why I think it's probably wise to. Uh, you know, accelerate the rate reductions if you can. People are making decisions still. They don't have to. They can work for a company in Boston without being in Boston anymore. That's right. They can live with near near family in Mississippi. They can enjoy the Gulf Coast and they can work remotely. Um, and uh, that's something they couldn't do pre-pandemic. I think it's kind of a great side effect, if you will. Um, Absolutely agree. Uh, but it's something that policymakers should yeah you know, should keep in mind.
1: In terms of the income tax just because that's the that's the issue that's getting so much attention down here I mean should our goal be the full elimination of the income tax when when we're in a position to do it whether that's this year or ten years from now I mean is that ought we be trying to look more like Florida in terms of tax structure
3: <sighs>
4: I think that's a a tough question, and a a lot of it depends, right? I don't want to give the economist answer of it depends, but it kind of does. And uh, certain states, are uh, that's easier to do. Um, I was just in North Dakota. I think that they've got a really good uh, chance at getting down to zero on their individual income tax, uh, but they're already at 2.9. It makes up a very small percentage of their um, own state revenue. Um, And that's, I think, a bit of a contrast to the way that Mississippi's Structured where the individual income tax, um, you know, at least a couple years ago was about—I think it was about a third of uh, the state's revenue. It brought in uh, a couple billion dollars, and so um, a lot of times these tax uh, rate cuts are helpful economically. They don't tend, as a rule, to pay for themselves, and so um, not entirely. There'll be some. Um, there'll be some trade-off there, but. Um, there has to be a way to still pay the bills. so
1: That makes sense. And you see, I assume, sometimes taxes increase elsewhere, and it may, maybe have to, to get revenue at the minimum levels that a state requires.
4: Right. That's exactly right. Well, Tim, so thanks. A lot of it's about striking the right balance.
1: Well, we, we appreciate your taking the time to be with us to discuss it and appreciate all the work that the Tax Foundation uh, and you and your team have done down here to help Mississippi get to a good place. So thanks for being with us. Thanks for the conversation. This is Lucian Smith in for Gerard Gibbert uh, here on Middays on Super Talk, Mississippi.
3: Yeah, dead, back back
0: back yeah. Properly set all controls before recording. Systems the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk, Mississippi. <laughs>
1: Good morning, everybody. This is Lucian Smith in for Gerard Gibbert here on middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Gerard's out today, but we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, and Will is in for Rhino at least for a little while. We don't don't know how long we're going to have you, but uh, hopefully for a little bit. Hopefully. Um, it, you can be part of the conversation on the C Spire text line at 601-879-4395. Uh, always, you know, it's the best listeners in radio here at Supertalk, so lots of, lots of they feedback. They share their opinion. That, that they do. That they do. And they're right. We, we talked a bunch earlier uh, uh, before we got into tax policy about uh, how crazy it is that Joe Biden has gotten away with, or at least so far has gotten away with having all these classified documents, and people are... Rightfully quick to point out that, you know, Trump was barely out of office and the National Archives was already after him about these documents. But somehow Joe Biden had had them for uh, six years before there was even the slightest bit of conversation about it. Um, It's just, you know, look, could be a decent explanation. But the far more likely explanation to me is the bureaucrats in Washington who run these agencies don't like Donald Trump. They do like Joe Biden. And so they treated they treated Joe Biden differently. And people are rightfully mad about that, and they should be. It's, it's unfair to everybody. And people have pointed out plenty of times, uh, whether it's the Hillary Clinton emails or whether it's um, these documents that have been taken out, low-ranking government personnel go to jail for these sorts of things. Uh, but high-ranking folks, especially high-ranking Democrats, uh, just get treated very, very uh, differently. Uh, Well, if you own or run a small business, are customers able to find your business online? With the power of SDMM Digital, you can reach potential customers and get more referral and repeat business. SDMM Digital's highly trained and trusted staff is ready to work with you to help your business capitalize on the power of digital marketing. Call 601-991-2305 or go to stmmdigital.com to get started today. Well, I know folks are uh, sometimes sick of hearing about Jackson uh, generally or Jackson water (laughs) issues.
2: It seems to be a
1: recurring theme. Well, it's it's a problem that's going to have to get fixed at uh, at some point. But the you know, as as many of you know, Jackson had a a multi-week period where some people had no water, nobody had drinkable water. Uh, They told you to. Uh, close your mouth while you showered, which is not something anybody ever ought to hear in America uh, you, you ought to be able to reliably flush your toilets and drink the water that that comes out. But the newest crazy proposal now, thank goodness, the federal government stepped in, and they have uh, through a consent decree taken away control. Uh, of the water system from our wildly incompetent mayor here in Jackson, and given it to a third party administrator who who seems to at least have an idea of how to get the water from the water treatment facility <laughs> into your toilet, which you know let 's start with that you you just let 's let 's get to where a hundred percent of the time you know you 're going to be able to flush the toilet um, but he has proposed this crazy idea that rather than uh, charge you for water the way water is charged basically everywhere in the world, which is based on how much you use. You know, sometimes there's a minimum level because you gotta you have to have the minimum investment in the system. But, you know, if, if, if I use three times as much water as you do, then I'm going to get charged a significantly larger amount, whether it's dollar for dollar three yeah. times or uh, uh, or whether it's, you know, uh, twice as much. But it's going to be based on volume. Because you want to tie how much people are paying to how much they're consuming. I mean, that's a normal, natural way uh, that you structure these things, and it's the reason that essentially every water utility in the world that, that is operating functionally meters the water that comes out. But he has proposed tying, and pure details haven't come out, but he has proposed that people's water bills ought to be based on the value of their homes. And so essentially it would be a fresh, New property tax where you would uh, you would pay a flat rate based on how w- much your house is worth, which is crazy for lots of reasons now the proposal that's come out so far that started to get the support of some people who are uh, i think more liberally inclined uh, on policy says that it's going to be capped at one hundred and fifty dollars but the problem is there's no guarantee that that cap i mean 150 dollars for water is a lot but there's no guarantee that that cap is in any way fixed on a
3: permanent basis there's so many issues what if somebody who lives in a hundred thousand dollar home turns on their water faucet and doesn't turn it off and just lets it run all day do they still pay the same amount that Exactly. They normally wouldn't. Exactly. Lucian, this does not make sense. It doesn't make a lick of sense.
1: It doesn't make a lick of sense. And, and you know, you think about, I got seven people who live under my roof. Now, if my neighbor's got a more expensive house and he's got two people living there... He or she is going to pay more than I am when I got seven people running water all the time, yeah. playing with kids and a hose out back. I mean, it's just it, it's it's ludicrous and it's not well thought out. Uh, and I'm glad, and we can talk more about it uh, that that Joel Carter and Shawn Yates have introduced bills uh, this legislative session to make that illegal. Well, look, this is Lucian Smith in for Gerard Gibbert uh, here on midday's on Super Talk Mississippi. Stick with us. We've got Steve Azar coming up after this break. Good morning, everybody. This is Lucian Smith in for Gerard Gibbert here on Mid-talk, Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. We're coming to you live from the Element Wealth Studios. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call six zero one nine five seven six zero zero six to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Well, with us on the phone, the man, the myth, the legend, Steve Azar, host of In a Mississippi Minute, a musician, and our state's music and cultural ambassador. Steve, good morning. How are you doing?
5: thank you for having me. I, I noticed that you guys sort of do a little bumper in there about interesting people around the state, so I'm gonna I'm gonna change that during this uh, interview with you. So, you know, I'm gonna be <laughs> uninteresting as I, possible.
1: In my experience, that comes close to being impossible, Steve.
5: <laughs> I'll Tell you what, I, I just told Will. I said the guys are down there doing the floors. I was at the state game last night uh, with my buddies from Pro River, Matt, and uh, as we, we were. <laughs> and I drove last night home, and it was a it was a deer convention and fog. So uh, I was I was making my way home, going, like, "Man, I don't know if this is going to work out." But uh, anyway, it, it is. The, I, I had to go hide because the guys are doing our floors, and I'm uh, I'm in the closet right now talking to you guys.
1: Well, I, I appreciate that level of commitment, Steve. That's something serious <laughs> right there. But it is that time of the year that's great for deer hunting and very bad for driving because they're moving. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh,
5: yeah, sure. Well, eighty-two is great having it wide open like that. At least it gives you a chance. Back in the day, you know, when we grew up. You know, we didn't have such luxury, so it's it, great that... The, yeah, things, a, a two-lane
1: road with uh, with tiny little shoulders on it. It's kind Woo! of a different situation. Yeah,
5: it was always... Yeah, yeah, squeezing the steering wheel to death. I,
1: I had it. never... And we'll we'll get off a of deer after this, but unless you got more deer content, but I had never learned, and I should have known this, but I never... I, I, if somebody ever told me this, they, I, I didn't remember it. But 20 years ago, I was driving and saw a deer, middle of the road. I was on a highway going... I'm going to say I was going 70 miles an hour. and
3: Statute of limitations was, is up on let, that,
1: that. That's solution. a good point. I was I was young and going <laughs> faster than I should have. And instead of doing all the things you're supposed to do, turn the lights off, let off the gas, I thought, you know what you should do at this speed is slam on the dead gum brakes. And I'm telling you, I was on the side of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and I was lucky that my car swerved left wow. into the center yeah. median. Uh, but I remember being I was on the phone with my mother and uh, yeah. hung up. Because I was like, I'm fixing to have a crash. You don't need to be on the phone for this. And I, that car stopped. Uh no lie, six inches from this massive tree oh that was on the median. And I, oh, I drove out of there lucky as I could be, but I, oh I, I, my be, be safe out there, folks, especially if you're driving at night.
5: Yeah, you listen, you just gave my feet you know, I feel like I'm on top of a roof sliding off right now. That's that <laughs> feeling I get. I don't even want to hear about it.
1: Yeah, it's a it was a bad deal. Well, we we got some some new some new old music, right? Am I am I wrong about that? <laughs>
5: That's how you say it. You know, it's interesting, you know, I don't have to be. I until Monday, obviously, my biggest radio hit. Um, uh, It's been, you know, it's amazing. It's been amazing. It's one of the top played songs in country radio in the last 20 years. So we thought it'd be a good idea at some point to to reinvent it. Uh, But, you know, when you do a remake, you know, 20, so it's called the 20th Anniversary Edition. When you do that, I feel like it's really got to be what people expect and they've come to know. You can't just venture off. Uh, you, so what we did was, it's got more verb and reverb, and more. I call it soup. It's got a little more soup on it, but but we really tried to recreate it. Um, I even used the same microphone that I used. Oh wow! Uh, and and did a lot of the same stuff. Um, but but anyway, it, I, I'm really happy with the version. And this is the, uh, also uh, the version that. I've been using with Pro River Resort for all the commercials and all that we've been doing, and and just having a lot of fun with that as well. So it's got a double whammy with it, which is great. But uh, the plan was all along the last five years to go ahead and do that and be prepared. We're a, a few, we're a handful of months late, but uh, we just wanted to let the holidays get by and Christmas get by. Difficult time to ever release music is Christmas, unless it's. Unless it's the Christmas song,
1: yeah, know. that makes sense. So it, it it was released yesterday. Then is that right? Or
5: yeah, 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 yeah. So it's uh, it's out, so people can go compare the two versions. Uh, and uh, you, you know that song is just it's really weird. You know, it was it was what I needed, but that song sat on record labels desk for two years, just like it was. We had made the original record in a garage, in a ba- in a basement with huh. my producer Rafe Van Hoy. And all the record labels said it's not country or it's not going to radio won't play it. Uh, it's, it's just not country enough or it, but it's not rock enough. And I was going like, what are you talking about? So then I wrote waiting on Joe. And then that's when I got signed. And that's when we went back and they said, we got to do Monday first. And I said, well, we could have done that two years ago, you know, so, <laughs> but you know what? I don't write waiting on Joe if I'm not waiting on what I was waiting on. So you know you look back at those times and you're going like, "Why can't this just let's just go um but but as a songwriter, you need those um you need something to push you and and to to make you get better and I mean I couldn't imagine my life without writing waiting on Joe it would just would not have it just as a songwriter it wouldn't have mattered it's a, that's what got me to one Mississippi and all that I learned to to be vulnerable with Waiting on Joe. I learned to bear it all, and at that point, I thought I was, but I never was. And
1: and so you you hadn't been signed until Waiting on Joe. I mean, were you selling songs but not not on a label?
5: Well, I had an independent, a a false independent start that I had great relationships with about five big markets around the country, from Kansas City to Detroit to Saginaw to uh, where else, Akron, Ohio. There were some Midwestern towns. That really that that would even with the bad first album um in the mid nineties uh I was able to go play live in those places, and they saw that there was more to me and so when i did when i when I put Monday out, in fact, we decided to sort of force Monday on the label after they signed us because they really weren't sure what they wanted to do. You got me thinking back now, it was those five markets that decided to just jump on Monday without. Record the record label sending it because they already had it because I already sent it to them, for, you know, two years before, a year and a half before, and they just started playing and it started to work. Now, the crazy—you talk about timing and everything—it was the number one most added song once the record label said yes in the country. So here we go, everybody's going. Here's time for a hit, and the next day was nine eleven.
2: Oh wow! And then it didn't
5: matter again. So once again, we went through this. Uh, you know, and it had to go through that and trust me that song a song means nothing compared to what we went through and and i just felt like it so the song literally died 11 times during it called losing its bullet when you lose your bullet once or twice you're done this this 11 times and uh anyway it survived and became a big hit about eight months later and uh it was a journey but uh it was definitely uh imperative in my career i can tell you that
1: well that's what i was going to ask you was that was that the moment i mean was that? i feel like people who've had the kind of careers you have can point to the one song the one part the one something that was that was the life-changing moment i mean was that was that the one for you or that moment already happened at this point
5: no you know i grew up playing so you got to realize i grew up playing we, when i graduated college I was playing. I had 200 one-nighters. My brother was running the show for me. We had 200 one-nighters on the books. We went from a small van to two 28-foot trucks eventually, 10 guys on the payroll. And we were. I was doing a lot of my originals. as four hours worth of music, so half a show was my originals, half the show were cover tunes, so we could play everywhere. And so we were already used to, to being out on the road and working really hard. Um, I mean, sometimes i do two shows in a day at three hours away. I mean, like, we were nuts. And so we were making a really good living for not having that radio success. Back then, man, you couldn't just go in your, on your computer and make a record. You know, it's all files now. It's so easy. But with us, it cost thousands and thousands of dollars to make one song. So we just were, we. you had to wait on a record company to sign you. So it's, it's so different now. And I love it the way it is because it frees me up to really focus in on writing about what I want to write about. It's why I was able to move back to Mississippi, starting to produce my own records and all that and produce other artists. But yeah, I mean, it was pivotal. Uh, but Wade do Joe was the game changer. Once Morgan Freeman jumped in the video and, and did what he did, um, it, it, that was my, that was my face. And that was who I was as a person. Uh, and, and I think there's been a disconnect over the years at times with I don't have to be me till Monday and me because they waited to the very end to do the video the video went number one but they waited they weren't gonna shoot a video I mean it was just so we just sort of blew it a little bit and then Napster happened oh yeah and I was to watch so I was one of the Napster babies that uh, that they were all these illegal downloads so I was uh, I actually went to Washington they brought me there as one of the most illegally downloaded records of the year. That's oh, wow. what I recall. <laughs> <laughs> that,
1: that's that's a I I don't know I don't know if that's a good problem or not. But uh, <laughs> just, hey, Steve, can you stick with us for another segment? Yeah, man, I love it. Hey, y'all, this is Lucian Smith uh, here in for Gerard Gibbard on middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Stick with us for more with Steve Azar.
0: day the talk that keeps mississippi talking we're rolling hit it
3: go play it
0: middays with gerard gibbert on super talk mississippi
1: Good morning, everybody. This is Lucian Smith, uh, in for Gerard Gibbard here on Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. We're coming to you live from the Element Wealth Studios. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call six oh one nine five seven six zero zero six to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Uh, you can share your thoughts with us and be part of the conversation on the C Spire text line at six oh one. Eight seven nine four three nine five. Well, uh, with us uh, by phone is still Steve Azar talking a little bit about uh, his hit from uh, twenty years ago uh, and and how that's affected him and the re-release of it. Steve, tell me this: where where were you or what were you doing when you first heard your song on the radio?
5: <laughs> I don't know. Oh, uh, first time Madison, Wisconsin, leaving a radio station. Really? Um, yeah, and it was. Uh, it was it was surreal and uh, it was off my fa- first false attempt on an independent label in the mid nineties, but still felt great. You know, um, it was when uh, when you knew you had a hit on the radio is when it really when you start when you crossed into the top twenty, and then everybody started patting you on the back and go oh my gosh and you sort of knew that's when you knew that you that you were arriving. You know, and then you you really have to set your sights. Moving forward, I was never one to throw a party. You know, it was it was time to, to really get down and get better. So I remember after, I don't have to be making money and waiting on Joe, what happened to us was our label, we were on Mercury. Mercury and MCA were going to merge, and we were told, they were we were going to go six deep on my album, and they just called before show. I was on tour at Rascal Flatts and myself, and I think it was Paisley that night. We were all in urban. The four of us were doing a lot of stuff together on the CMT tour. And I was a little bit of a fish out of water. You know, the Mississippi thing is always sort of. And I wanted to write about that. So I, you know, I just wasn't the best at adhering to the what was in the box. And they were really good at it and, and talented at it, like those guys. They were great, and they were all, they were all pals. But. Long story short, they came, a record guy came to me and he said, Well, we're being bought out, so we got to take a break. And I remember going on stage and being dizzy, like we had all the momentum. So during that year, I'd written 80 songs, I'd probably played 150 shows, and my voice, I went through some tremendous voice issues where a cyst on my throat had developed to the point where if I'd sneeze, It would bleed. Oh, gosh. And I eventually had to have surgery. So there was a, everybody goes, Where'd you go? I was like, Well, our label went up for sale. I had to have throat surgery. (laughs) There was a lot going on. Is that
1: a product of, I mean, is that something you get because you're singing so frequently, or is that just terrible luck for somebody who's a a singer songwriter?
5: It was because of folks like you, because I'm messing with you right now. But the truth was having to get up in the morning, Lucian, and and literally you just got through playing a show and you had to do the after party and you had to see all the radio guys and the next morning you were in your bus and you're rolling down the highway and 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 then at six AM you're doing the morning show. So it was no rest. I really believe anybody out there that's having vocal cord issues, it's probably because of lack of rest and talking. You know, I didn't even know how to talk. I mean, I was holding my breath, and I was this, and that singing never bothered me. So anyway, I had to learn to talk again and speech therapy and all that. And It didn't take long, but I also learned to preserve my voice. So now I know what that feeling is when my voice gets so fatigued. So if you're out there and your voice starts to get so fatigued, you know, I think about coaches especially. Um, At what point do you give yourself, you know, some time off? And you got to really take the time. So I learned the hard way, uh, like a lot of us did. But, but I had a big old cyst on my throat, so it was, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a tough one. Yeah. But it was all good, and I uh, came out doctor was fantastic i told him he had the hands of a musician when it was all said
1: and done well you switch into one of your more recent songs uh one mississippi is now the official state song i know that took a took a lot of work by a lot of folks but it started with a very good song what what has that been like the last uh last seven months to have that be the official state song
5: I don't know at least if working a hit record was it was harder than working, <laughs> you know, because no, but no, it was it was similar in fashion, but rightly so. I mean, it was an important moment for Mississippi. So I knew from the last four or five years, look, as a songwriter, you know, there's something when it's written, when a song writes itself, you know, that there's something special because all my best songs have written themselves they've, you know, it's just, I've got a pen in my, and I just feel like it's just been so inspired. So, cause the craft is always there now. So that song, I mean, it was a long song. I knew it was going to be a long song. I had to represent Mississippi. It had to be an umbrella over us all. Uh And I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss miss a spot and that it was covered. Well, it was written for the Bicentennial. And like I said, quickly, and uh, it all fell out together with the chords and the melody and the music. And I just felt like God just sent it to me. And so I believed after four or five years of playing it live, everybody, from all walks, from all race, from all, um, uh, you know, from poor to rich to middle middle class, didn't matter. They, I was getting constant when I'd play it. That's got to be our state song. That's got to be our state song. So that was coming. And then, you know, obviously when Speaker of the House of Gun came to me and and Becky, Curry, they said that they wanted to write the bill for this. I was just flabbergasted. Then we went through the whole—you know—it was a lot. But the good news was, I knew I had the support of most everybody, and uh, and it worked out. So I got to tell you, we've got a children's book coming out with Sarah Frances Hardy now. I'm so excited about. You know, is that is
1: that out, or when does the when does the children's book come out?
5: Our goal is we're we're about to hit up people. So people listening out there, we we want to give it to kids in school. So, we want to, uh, K through three in the fall, we want every kid to have it. Um, she's, she's unbelievable what she's done. She's created these seven beautiful children, and they're going to take you through a history lesson using the lyric. They're acting out the lyric through the entire book. And, uh, and it's, it's really a history lesson. It's so beautiful. But Sarah Francis has been unbelievable to work with. She's doing a lot of the hard work, and I'm so excited about it. We're almost there. So, uh, closing in on that, and, uh, If you want to be a sponsor for it and let's get it in the kids' hands, I'm talking to you right now. But that'll be something uh, that we do and that I feel confident about. And then the sheet music for marching Uh, bands—there's marching bands already learning it, so it's out there. You know, we got it published and 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 the piano, guitar, and vocal. If you wanted to do that, so you know, it's been. There's just a lot goes on with the state song. You know, it, it matters to me that we continue to sort of farm it because. I want everybody to be proud of their state. So I'm going to be proud of Mississippi. Right? I mean, there's a lot to be proud of here. You know, and I I wear Mississippi all over me, inside of me, because I believe in it. And it gave me an entire career and life
1: Borrow and you're, it back. you're, you're you, and you're so wonderful about that both you know the work you do as an ambassador for the state um, and just your general pro-mississippi attitude because I mean obviously we got there's stuff in our history that you know we got to deal with we got to be honest with ourselves about and not everything in the state is perfect but there is so much in the state to be proud of and 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 I feel like one thing Mississippians don't do a great job of is recognize the great things in the state. Be proud of being from Mississippi. You know, let people know the good things. And we, we've got a, a tendency to, to be down on ourselves, and I think it works against us. We Steve, can you hear me?
5: Yeah, there you go. You just disappeared on me at the end.
1: I just just was saying, you know, I think it's great. Uh, I think that's one of the, will be one of the great things of your book, and one of the things we all need to do a, a, a job of, sort of emulating you and being great ambassadors for the state oh, well, and recognizing say, listen, the good listen, things.
5: I got a lot. I got to get better, and I'm trying. But I have been around the world, you know, most of it, and played it, and then obviously played every state in the union so many times. I can't tell you there is a the magic about Mississippi, and that's why um, I feel like when we do our charity event every year. For our foundation in June, we can't get people to leave because it is a place that the, it's just it's the people, it's us.
1: Yeah, people. Whenever Magic. I bring friends in who Magic. aren't from here, they're always blown away. They come in and they're, they yeah. the response is always, "But well, this is great! I did this is not what I expected when I got uh, when I got on a plane to Jackson."
5: And I always go, "Duh, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Come on, man! We got the best food, the best music, the best people. What else do you want? Uh, that's the best a- farming. I mean,
1: come on. <laughs> so how can folks, I mean, if folks want to be supportive of the effort to get that book out, is that something they do through your foundation, or will there be a different vehicle, no, or we're is that keep still to be separate determined? From
5: that? I, that's such a touchy subject with all the foundation and stuff and, and a publisher being involved and all that. We're going to keep, keep it separate, but, you know, I think that's going to be one of those things that we're starting to hit folks up, and, uh, I don't. you know, that's a question that I should have been able to answer right now. I can't answer it. So I'm going to screw up. But maybe they can reach out to you guys uh, at Super Talk. Or maybe just go to info at. What is our uh, email, Glenn? Anything like that? I'm on the radio. We're totally wasting Super Talk airtime.
1: Well, uh, I, if, if I don't know the answer to that, Rhino may know the answer to that.
5: Yeah, you can go to my website and you go. Uh, there's a place where you can look and you can send messages to me. So that's the best way to do it on, well, on com. Just find info at maybe. SteveAzar.com or something. There's a place that you can email us.
1: Well, Steve, thank It'd you uh, thank you for taking the time to be here with us. If you all want to get more information, go to SteveAzar.com and uh, check out the uh, check out the new version of uh, I'm Not Me Till Monday.
5: Yeah, and do me a favor. i got a new kid that I'm producing named Drew Pulliam. The first record came out last week. It's called 16 Going On 60. Uh, awesome record, and every six weeks we're going to have a new song, and it's pretty cool.
1: We'll, uh, we'll check it out. Y'all, this is Lucian Smith in for Gerard Gibbert on Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Stay with us through these messages.
0: Mississippi. Is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi.
1: everybody this is lucian smith in for gerard gibbert here on middays on super talk mississippi we're coming to you live from the element wealth studios are you thinking about or planning for retirement do you have a plan go to myElementWealth.com or call six zero one nine five seven six zero zero six to let element wealth help you find your balance between income growth and guarantees well morning rhino we, we've we've swapped out here we, we've substituted like a tire change in a pit stop <laughs> you've tagged in like it's oh, uh, yeah. it's w w e uh well good to good to have you here it's we only got uh twenty minutes or so left and uh where I can still say good morning it's about to be the afternoon the the halfway point on the halfway day so we're we're getting close to the weekend
2: I've certainly had a more eventful Wednesday morning than I was expecting
1: uh, a leak i hear
2: yeah i uh i I thought something was up when I was in the shower, and before I could get the suds out of my hair, it went from shower to drizzle. That is not fun. And I was thinking, okay, well, it's just another pressure issue with the Jackson water. I'll I'll finish up the shower as quickly as possible and then head on up to the studio. And then the leak was discovered. There's a small crack in the ceiling in the kitchen, and Oof. water was coming out of it, so I had to... Take care of that. That is not a good feeling. Thankfully, it has stopped. Well, that's you know,
1: it's funny with leaks, and we were talking about this earlier. There's this ludicrous plan. You know, they finally rested Jackson's water system away from our mayor, who doesn't have any idea how to run a water system. And I'll you know, I don't have any idea how to run a water system, but I'd hire somebody who did, and that doesn't seem to have been his play. Um, But this third party uh, person who's been brought in by the courts has proposed um, charging people based on the value of their property, so not how much water you use, uh, but how much your house is worth, which to me doesn't make any sense for lots of reasons, but but leaks are, are a perfect example. Now, obviously, if it's leaking into your kitchen ceiling, you've got a pretty strong motivation to get that leak fixed, but the smaller leaks... Uh, that can add up quickly, you know, a toilet that's constantly running. Oh yeah. I mean, what if it's not bothering you, what's your motivation to fix it? Normally your motivation is you don't want to have you don't want to pay an extra two, three hundred dollars uh because you didn't get this leak fixed and you're running a lot of water. But it's you know, there are gonna be some folks and I, I I, I would probably be guilty of it myself you know if it's in a room where if it's not bothering you if the toilet's working otherwise i could see somebody waiting two or three weeks because you got a lot going on in life i could see that turning into two or three months because you didn't uh, there's not a motivation there uh, and i think if you go to this system you're gonna see a bunch of abuse uh, because when you take away the the volumetric component the 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 part where we actually meter and say, we're going to charge you in part by the number of gallons of water you consume, it shifts people's incentives. I mean, there's no reason not to go fill up big jugs of water to carry with you places. I mean, I, somebody's going to figure out a way to make money off of the the subsidy that they're getting as a result of this. And, you know, I got seven folks who live in my house, all of them shower, brush their teeth, you know, use the water in the way normal people do. And I could end up paying less than somebody just because they've got a, you know, they may only have two people there who are very conservative with their water. Uh, but if they've got a, a nicer house than mine, they're going to end up paying more for it. And I, I just, I think that's, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And the bigger risk that you're going to have over time. You know the proposal that's come out is that this is going to be limited to $150 at the absolute top, and that's obviously a lot of money. But if that's going to be, you know, people who are already in very, very expensive houses,
2: I wonder how that would work though with an apartment complex or I, a commercial property. I don't think that
1: details come out. I think I think what they've said is restaurants would be at that upper cap, and I'll be honest, the restaurants in Jackson could use a break. I mean, they've they've there are a lot of them have gone out of business, uh, and most of those most folks don't get rich running a restaurant. So I I don't mind with us coming up with some way to be supportive of, of the people who are working in and running in those, those businesses. But you're absolutely right. I don't know how that works with big rental complexes. I don't, I don't know how it works with big commercial users. I'm not sure that detail has been fleshed out. Um, But it's not a, it's just an idea that I think doesn't make sense. And what's going to happen over time. I think this is almost guaranteed. If you move to that system Right now, the cap on residential users, they say, is going to be $150. Well, there's nothing to say. A year from now, they're not going to say, well, really, we need the high end to be 250 or Really, we need the high end to be 500 Really, we need the high end to be 1000 And what's going to start happening is people are going to refuse to pay it. They're going to sell those houses. They're going to move out of Jackson. And it's going to make it. Uh, it's going to make it. Even worse, Um, you know, Carol here on the C Spire text line uh, asks a valid question. How do they justify it? And the justification, and I I disagree, but just to just to be fair to the folks who are on the other side of this, the justification they've got is that the meters in Jackson have been so broken for so long and people have gotten so used to getting inaccurate bills that they just no one's ever going to trust the Jackson water bill ever again. Um, And that doing this at least would let people know, look, I I owe $50. That's the amount I owe for my water. And that if you increase trust in the billing system, even if it's this ludicrous, I I would argue, uh, borderline socialist system, uh, that if people had that trust, more people would pay and that there would be the revenue in place to start running the water system in the way that it should be. That That is the justification that's that's offered on the other side. And I, I think, you know, what we need to be doing is basing it in part on the amount of water that's being consumed, which is literally the way that water utilities work everywhere. I mean, there, there is no reason for Jackson, Mississippi, to be the first place in the country, maybe the world, to have some totally different system for delivering water. What we need to do is get the system fixed, have it operational, and then if we want to start getting creative and, and you know being innovators, that's fine, but let's start by having a reliable system. And, and you really have to give credit, I think, to Representative Shonda Yates uh, and Senator Joel Carter, both of whom have introduced legislation, this legislative session, uh, that prohibits that type of billing, that, that requires you to do it uh, in part based on uh, the amount of water uh, that gets consumed and I'm confident they'll both take plenty of criticism from folks on the on the left uh who who disagree with that uh but I, I think they're doing a good job of standing up for frankly for the for the people of Jackson to get a, a fair system that does uh collect enough money to to operate the system because it is a it's a problem and I know people ask You know, why do I care if I live two hours, three hours, four hours away from Jackson, what happens uh, inside the city limits? And the reason is that is how people perceive us all around the country. You know, when we're going to recruit a plant whose headquarters may be in New York City or in Berlin, you know, they, they don't appreciate uh, that that gun town has great water. All, all they know is in that in Mississippi, that place where they can't flush the toilets in the capital. And so, you know, when we sent when y'all the, got shoes. Exactly. Exactly. And and we don't need to do anything uh, that sends the kind of message that we've got some sort of a sort of an issue. And, and I look. Keith and JS here on the C Spire text line, and if you'd like to be part of the conversation, join us at 601-879-4395. I think it hits it out of the park. Can you imagine if the other utilities started doing that? If you're, if you're, you know, your gas company or your electric company, I uh, said we're going to stop metering. We're just going to figure out how much money you got. and We're going to tell you which percentage of it you got to send to us. I, I, that Keith is. Is absolutely right, but that's going to be an ongoing fight, and and Representative Yates and Senator Carter deserve a lot of credit for jumping into something that I, I am confident will be will be mighty mighty controversial. Well, there is a new podcast from Super Talk Mississippi. Tired of the wait, Super Talk Mississippi's very own Rebecca Turner and actress uh, Amia Edwards have teamed up for a new podcast to tackle physical, mental. And spiritual health, you can find the Tired of the Weight podcast from Super Talk Mississippi anywhere you get your podcast, and on demand at supertalk.fm. FM. Yeah, that's that's how I end up listening to the shows most of the time when I'm not on them is going to the podcasting app and and pulling them down uh, because you know you listen to them in the in the car going somewhere and you think, gosh, I want to hear the second segment or the second half of that conversation, but you you don't really. Uh, you're not always able to sit in the car for another 5, 10, 20 minutes and listen. Although, if you can, you should, because you're going to get lots of good quality information and talk here on uh, Super Super Talk Mississippi. Just keep uh, the garage door open. That's, that's an excellent point. Make sure you keep the garage door open uh, and uh, make sure you're aware of your surroundings, depending on where you are. But if you miss it, you can always go to wherever you get your podcast and type in the name of the show, and uh, it'll uh, it'll be there for you. Well, hopefully you'll have a less eventful uh, rest of the week. Hopefully you've so is it all fixed
2: now? You got it. You got it secured. Supposedly, I, I do have some towels and a bucket down just in case it springs back up while I'm not there. But uh, I have confidence that it's done. You're, it's always a, a frightening thought to leave a, a semi fixed or hopefully a totally fixed leak. But even a, just
1: a recently fixed leak for fear that it'll be uh, it'll be right back. Well, y'all, this is Lucian Smith in for Gerard Gibbert here on midday's on Super Talk Mississippi. Stay with us uh, for more. Great talking conversation after these break after this break. Wednesday morning, everybody. This is Lucian Smith in for Gerard Gifford here with Rhino on middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Uh, you can be part of the conversation on the C Spire text line at 601-879-4395. Philip in Walthall County points out that property value based billing is nothing more than a tax the re, excuse me tax the rich uh, scheme and and I think he's he, he's exactly right and it's going to have unintended negative consequences because what's going to end up happening eventually is you're going to have people who are going to leave, which is going to decrease property values, decrease the number of people paying water bills, and, and make the make the problems in Jackson. Or worse. at the very
2: least, you're going to have people abusing the system and putting even more pressure on okay. an already... Overburdened system to begin with. I, that's exactly right. Well, we're we're closing in on the
1: lunch hour. Some of you may already have eaten, but I, Rhino, I think you had some some valuable news that people might could use there as they get closer. Yeah, it's lunch actually
2: time. breaking news because the press release just came out. So you might start seeing some of the bigger news. I, there's CNBC right there. They just talked about it. So if you're in your car, this is one of those moments where you need to be paying full attention to oh, us yeah. right now. And uh, you have a jump start if you already have the McDonald's app installed because it is required for this little life hack because apparently 40 years ago today the mcnugget was born and mcdonald's is celebrating the mcnugget's 40th birthday by giving everyone who wants one a free six-piece mcnugget the only catch is you got to download the app create a little free account and then tap the little six-piece free mcnugget well, there you go. If you're sitting in your car trying to figure out what to do for lunch uh, and
1: you you don't mind a McNugget, they're six of them for free. No purchase necessary. That's good to know. I don't know if I have the app or not. It's it's interesting to watch all these companies where they'll give you a little free something. All you got to do is put a little piece of their code on your phone and they got
2: something for you and chick-fil-a is one of the worst because they will entice you that every once in a while if you have the chick-fil-a app you'll just get a random notification it's like hey we haven't seen you in a while how about a chicken sandwich on us just come see us
1: we we used to order a lot of Domino's. uh pizza uh we've gotten better about i mean i I still like it not knocking dominoes but we've gotten better about not doing it as often but i remember that the dominoes app on my phone it it was like clockwork on a saturday about five o'clock it would send you a, a push notification and it was and clearly i mean you know companies spend fortunes on figuring out the right way to do this but it was clear they'd figured out that that's the time you know it's not quite dinner but it's about the time that people on a Saturday, especially if you've got kids, which we do, uh, are sitting there starting to think about what do you want to do for dinner, and you know in the back of your head the right decision is to pull that chicken that's fixing to go bad out of the cooler, cook it, have a nice healthy meal with some of those vegetables in there. But there's that little part of it. you know, You've been watching football all day. You've been chasing around your kids all day, and you think, or... We could just order that pizza and keep sitting here, and everybody would be happy.
2: So yeah, they do. Uh, they do a good job of, uh, of of trying to pull you in. To bring it all full circle, if you don't think people would take advantage of the water situation with a cap, I am an example of someone who took full advantage of Domino's and their generosity back in college when they had the ten dollar whatever you want pizzas. Oh. We would just pull ten dollars, call up there, and go give us everything you have as a <laughs> topping on there. And sure enough, the pizza box would be bowing; it could barely close, but you could get it for ten bucks.
1: Fully taking full advantage, uh, th- uh, and smart people, smart people do that. You know, it's like the folks who get the coupons and are able to, you know, basically w- walk out with two baskets of groceries and a check from the grocery store. Um, I, I, I wish I had the time and energy to do that because that's the, all those things if you if you do it right there's a good way to to uh to get to a good place on all that um well andy in, in jackson says uh he is waiting for the mcrib anniversary
2: now that i'm not a big chicken mcnugget fan but i'll eat a mcrib now i was under the impression they had put the kibosh on the mcrib that the last time back was the last time back forever that was what they said. I think that's the. I think that's just their stick. I think that's or like kind of like the Rolling Stones.
1: Yeah, exactly. As I was just about to say it's like these musicians who say we're retiring and then, like a year later, they come back out with a new tour. But it's good, you know. I mean, it, I'm sure that the people, seventh annual farewell tour. It, but it works because I—I bet it's been five years since I've had a McRib. But you told me it was the last time, and I thought, gosh, I remember when the when the billboards were up. I, heck, I didn't get over there. I mean, that, all these companies are good at figuring out how to get people, uh, get people in there and getting them buying some stuff. Um. Well, it's uh, we got Ken Newberger uh, coming up at the twelve o'clock hour uh, here as we exit the morning on this beautiful Wednesday, January eighteenth. Ken is the executive director of the Mississippi Medical Marijuana Association. Uh, lots to discuss there as we get closer to uh, that industry really starting to offer retail sales. To, to my knowledge, nobody's in a position to do that yet because of testing. But I expect in twenty three we'll start to see uh, an awful lot of retail activity. Uh, in that area, so that'll be a good conversation to have with Ken. Well, y'all, this is Lucian Smith here with Rhino, in for Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi on the Middays program. Hope you'll stick with us uh, for more great conversation.
0: And now
1: Good afternoon, everybody. This is Lucian Smith, in for Gerard Gibbard, here on Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. We're coming to you live from the Element Wealth Studios. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myElementWealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Uh, we've got with us in the studio Ken Newberger, the Executive Director of the Mississippi Medical uh, Marijuana Association. And let me say this: if you've got questions about the program or want to be part of the conversation we hope you'll join us on the c spire text line uh, by texting 601-879-4395 but remember not to not to
6: text and drive well ken uh, good afternoon good to have you here thanks for having me happy to be here how uh, how are you i'm doing really well Uh, Right now, we just started testing medical marijuana this week uh, in in Mississippi. Our testing labs finally got their green light, so I'm doing really well. We're really close to seeing this thing come together. Because that's been the major holdup, right, that there wasn't testing in place. That's correct. Uh, They were waiting to get a lot of the methodology that they were using to test validated by the Department of Health, and then it's finally come through.
1: And and is the testing... Is the testing similar to the dispensary or the production? I mean, are there there multiple people testing, or does the Department of Health have one testing vendor that's doing all the testing?
6: So right now we only have two labs that are actively testing. Um, I think we've got two more that are going to be coming on over the next six to 12 months. Um, But they're third-party testing labs that are approved by the Department of Health. However, they are required by law to be completely separate from every other medical marijuana company they okay. have, they can have no financial or any kind of overlap with other companies so you can't be
1: growing or processing and also be a testing that's lab. if you're a tester you're just doing that that's correct hey, are these big out of state i mean I assume that there are people in all the places that have a, a, a legal uh, marijuana program i mean this, i assume testing is fairly universal
6: um with one exception uh being Oklahoma I think they're just now getting their testing up and, up and running they didn't require it at the onset like okay. pretty much everybody else has um but it is pretty universal that you test uh, to make sure that there's some kind of clarity understanding.
1: And when we talk about the testing, what are all? I mean, this is for THC concentration, principally, or is this? What all are we testing for? Well,
6: yes, so um, THC concentra- concentration is obviously a huge portion, so that way people know what they would be consuming that could affect them. But also, we're testing for heavy metals, pesticides, um, even the, the the terpenes that affect the taste and smell. I and mean, we are testing for more different things within the the plant than any other state is testing for
1: really that's correct and i mean this would so this is to make sure this is just giving consumers giving the patients as much information as they can about what's going to be in the the product they're consuming
6: yes especially when you're talking about the the terpenes and the thc and the cbd and cbg all those different cannabinoid content that's much more about clarity but all the other stuff that we test for is more about safety that's more about making sure that you're not consuming anything that would be harmful to you as a patient okay um and so,
1: w- there was a holdup in getting the testing approved, or just—I mean, anytime you set up a, a program like this, it takes a long time. But I mean, what right. my understanding was, testing was sort of the logjam.
6: Yeah, it, it was because they're under intense scrutiny to make sure that they always perform the same validation of tests uh, every single time, and they want to test every single portion of those those analytes, those things that we're testing for. Are you know whether it's you know mercury or it's. Uh, all the different pesticides that could be used to make sure that they're low. Um, those are the things that we're testing to make sure that they always come back the same results. Um, so that way the Department of Health feels confident approving those places. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. So now that the testing is in place, what's the uh, what's the time frame? I mean, is anybody – I guess no one is, is legally selling uh, medical cannabis right That's now. Correct. Okay. That's correct. Okay. Do you have a sense of when uh, – when
6: we're going to start seeing dispensaries that are actually selling legal product. Certainly within the next couple of weeks. Um, I mean, it, it can take anywhere from a few days to a few weeks, to get through the testing process. And then the department of health has to feel comfortable to activate all the cards that are out there. Um, but we're, we're probably looking towards, you know, two to three weeks when we're actually selling. I, I don't know because everybody might fail testing, right? I mean, every you might everybody fail, and then we have to start over and grow more. But <laughs> um, I hope that's not the case.
1: Well, and what when you say fail testing, that that would be? I mean, is that have an illegally high thc concentration or more you know what i guess any of that's
6: possible is yeah, there something if in anything that? dings high so uh having too much thc in the product uh you cannot have more than 30 percent in uh the raw flour product so if you test above that that would be a reason to ding it um if you test I, I mentioned mercury if you have too much mercury in the product um if you come out and it proves that you've been using a lot of pesticides on your product that could be harmful and that could that could make you fail. There are a lot of ways you can fail. And uh, the pesticide content
1: is that set out in the regulations? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So there are limits on okay. how much. Yeah. And I is there? And I'm just I'm gonna show some ignorance here. I mean, is there sort of organic versus non-organic cannabis? Or since it's all medicinal, it's all uh, it's all organic.
6: Well. <laughs> By the definition of organic, can- containing carbon, yeah, I guess yeah, it's all it's technically all technically organic, right, right? organic. But but in the the more colloquial in the same things, way, I can find two dollar bananas and fifty I, cent bananas. Yeah. Is there something similar here? Um, you know, people might might try to say that. Um, I, I know that it's been bounced around that since that's a federally regulated word to try to keep that out of the canvas okay. discussion because we need to make it focused on what you're actually consuming, not trying to use the marketing buzzword of organic one way or the
1: other that makes sense mm-hmm. do, do you know um in terms of how many cards have been issued
6: so far to patients where we are um yeah we're a little over 1600 and that's that's wow. kind of where we're at uh in the birthing of the program is now that we've really gotten past testing we know products are going to start showing up on shelves in the next couple weeks um it's time to patients to start go learning about how to get get their card. And we're going to see that really come to fruition as there's product available. But we are doing a series of events with uh, pause pain and wellness uh, clinics across the state to talk about how to get a card the mississippi cannabis patients alliance has helped us out as well uh to get the word of here's who you can come see here's how they can make their determination of how to get a card and and then some also uh, some information about what it'd be like going to dispensary after you are a patient
1: so one of the questions that, that has already come in from a few people on the ceasefire text line is what do you do i mean if there's somebody who believes that they have one of the qualifying illnesses i mean i think the first question is I'll break it into two parts. I mean, if I have a condition and I want to know if I'm eligible for medical cannabis, how can I figure out whether what I've got
6: is one of the eligible conditions? Well, um, I'd first direct you to um, either our website or Mississippi Cannabis Patients' website. Ours is uh, medicalmarijuanams.com. We have frequently asked questions, which should uh, have all the the listing of the conditions. Um, So that's one, one way to figure it out. And then once you know what those conditions are, if you have it, then... Um, first, talk to your doctor about it. They may or may not have gotten their training for medical cannabis. And if they did, then that's the conversations you have with them. If not, you know, talk to them about, hey, I'm going to explore if this is going to be good for me and talk to a doctor who, who knows this one way or the other, and um, we can help you find those. Okay. But then but the next step would be to go talk to
1: a, the treating physician mm-hmm. or – Okay. Yes. And if, that, if the treating physician doesn't yet have their training, what do they do?
6: Well, you know, we – we, uh, we always recommend, you know, first, like you said, start with your treating ph- physician, but if not, you know, collaboration is key, right? And there are a lot of doctors across the state that have made medical marijuana a specialty of theirs, but they want to work with your physician or your caregiver, whoever that is. They want to have that conversation being more collaborative than not. Okay. Um, so... I I would say start with them and then once you start exploring it, then reach out to us or or reach out to the Patients Alliance and say, hey, I'm I'm interested in this. Who should I talk to next? And and can – because
1: obviously the the statute – and the regs lay out very clearly what you can and can't do. And I know the the board of medical licensure has its own rules about it. I assume you're going to have some practitioners who, for whatever reason, are going to say, "Look, I'm." And just to give one example, you know, I'm 55 years old. I've been doing this for however long. I'm not interested in going and learning about medical cannabis. I do what I do. Can they say, "Well, you need to go see Doctor Smith. He's a guy I work with regularly."
6: Yeah, that that's totally normal. I mean, that's a normal medical interaction. Even if. You, when yeah, you saw your family, else. exactly, and, and you said, hey, I'm, I'm not an oncologist, you need to go talk to an oncologist. Exactly. Right. Um, so... That's that's what we're trying to promote in the the medical side of things is to keep the collaboration between different uh, physicians and, and nurse practitioners who can help guide those discussions uh, for their patients.
1: So presumably, whoever your treating physician is, hopefully, if if they believe you would benefit from medical cannabis, but don't have their license to, to write cards, they could refer you to somebody
6: who did. And we've seen that uh, happen quite a lot in the past. Really, month uh, a lot of people have said, you know, I know how to treat uh, multiple sclerosis, but I don't entirely know how it interacts with medical cannabis. So um, go talk to somebody who does and then come back to me, and then the three of us will talk about it, you know. And, and so it's been very nice to see that, that grow. Have you all
1: so – there? obviously – I mean, clearly based on the way the, the initiative passed, uh, there's clearly a large number of people who are interested in this product. Um, I mean, are you still seeing – I mean, I, obviously, there's also a third of people who didn't want to see medical cannabis legalized in Mississippi. Are you seeing are y'all picking up a lot of pushback still from people?
6: Not not really. Um, we're hearing, you know, story after story of people who are just it's super exciting for them to go and have this interaction. I haven't heard nearly as much pushback as we did back in 2020.
1: OK, well, Ken, can you stick with us for another Absolutely. segment? Yeah. Uh, well, y'all, this is Lucian Smith in for Gerard Gibbert here on Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Yeah, stick with us after these messages for more discussion with Ken Newberger of the Mississippi Medical Marijuana Association. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Lucian Smith in for Gerard Gibbert here on Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Coming to you live from the Element Wealth Studios, uh, are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Well, with us in studio is still Ken Neuberger of the Mississippi Medical Marijuana Association. I, I want to close the loop, Ken, on one thing that we were talking about before the break. Um if people and I assume as this program is getting up and running, you you may have doctors who don't know where to refer you. It, so they should probably go to your website or or what should you do if your doctor says you need you would benefit from medical cannabis, but I don't know anybody who can write you a card. Right.
6: Um, yeah, I, I would say come to our website or go to the Mississippi Cannabis Patients Alliance uh, website. So it's either uh, medicalmarijuana.ms.com, which is our website, or mscannapatient.com, which is the Cannabis Patients Alliance. Um, and we can help you find uh, a doctor. Or, or we can, if, if you really want, just reach out, and I'll help facilitate finding a doctor to talk to your doctor Yeah. Um, about why it would be helpful. Because we've, it's going to take that kind of person-to-person discussion to really get the word out. Now, one of the things, or sort of two provisions,
1: and we were talking about this um, off the air, but two of the things that, that are in is in the law and, and in the regulations. As I appreciate it, counties and municipalities could opt out. They could say we're not going to be. Uh, I don't. know, You'd say wet or dry in the alcohol context. I don't know if there's a term of art in, in cannabis. You smoke free, uh, but. <laughs> But you could choose to be. We just opt in and out out. We don't have special terms. It's just in or out. Well, if you've got ideas for special terms, you can you can send them to us at the ceasefire text line at 601-879-4395. But about how many cities and counties at this point are, are choosing not to have
6: it be legal? It, it's about 25%. Okay. Um, so it tracks pretty, pretty much with the way that the vote went a couple years ago.
1: It, do, you, do you sense that some of those counties are going to opt back in at some point once, once the program gets a little more operational?
6: I do I think we've seen quite a few opt-in already just in this past year I mean I guess it's 2023 but it was a very long 2022 um, and it we saw quite a few places opt back in once licensure started and the regulations were understood once there was a good understanding of what security standards were going to be I think that was a big hold up for a lot of people. Um, but yeah as we see the program really come to fruition, We'll see more places to consider opting back in.
1: Well, and anecdotally, it, my sense, and you're obviously having you know orders of magnitudes more of these conversations than I am. Um, but my sense is that some of these municipalities, that the concern is that if you if you do allow medical cannabis to be sold or, or manufactured in that county that suddenly you're going to become you're going to start suffering sort of drug-related crime you're going to see a decrease in quality of life i mean it, do you have a sense of how realistic that
6: concern is well i've seen statistics that say otherwise but you know i, I I see a lot of statistics, right? And and so I think what it really boils down to is how the municipalities manage, right? Do you have good management by the mayor and the board of aldermen or the city council? Do you have a, a good sheriff in the county? Do you have a good police force? I mean, those are the things that you really consider about safety and, and, and drug pervasion into a community. And so um, – I think it really boils down to the local enforcement right which which i mean i i think sort of
1: makes sense instinctively right i mean i can think of gas gas stations or grocery stores that i wouldn't stop at but it's the problem is not that they're selling ham and bread and gas it's you know it's that there's a a law enforcement issue in that area
6: right and and you know maybe the the owners aren't collaborative with the city and and they don't have the same level of upkeep for their in, in this scenario gas station and so that that creates an invite for not great things to happen. And so it's the same thing with cannabis businesses. You know, do you have businesses that could do that? Maybe. But we're trying to create the environment that is very collaborative and keeps cannabis working with local localities, so that way it's a healthy environment. Um, I know there are –
1: you know, the legislature's back in session I've seen headlines that there are going to be tweaks to the medical marijuana law I mean do, do you all have a position on uh, do all have a position on where
6: what needs to be done legislatively this year yeah we really have um, two main positions which is uh, one we want to make sure that it's as easy as possible for patients to to get the care they need right we want patients to be able to go see their physician or their practitioner and and that is is just like getting any other prescription you know their certification is is what happens to them um right now it's a very onerous process they also have to have a separate application um to the department of health uh we think that interacting your interaction with your health care provider should should be it um so we're trying to do our best to make sure that that is the end all be all of how to get a card is, is your your interaction with the care professionals um and beyond that, we want to make sure that all businesses are treated fairly, right? The the businesses, uh, the way it was written last year, had a very free market, open, equal treatment for all businesses. Um, you, everybody has the same standards. And so we want to make sure that stays where it is. Okay.
1: It's a, but you all are not pushing for any sort of major
6: overhaul of the act this year? No. Like I said a couple minutes ago, you know, we just started testing. We haven't sold a single ounce of medical cannabis in this state yet. I think we want to make sure that we, we get what we've done right and uh, not ask for major changes just yet.
1: Yeah, well, I think that makes sense. Now, a lot of people, and I suspect people are on both. I suspect you have some people who are excited about this prospect and many people who are very deeply concerned about it. I mean, is this a step towards having a, a recreational or adult use program in Mississippi, and, and do you all have a position on that?
6: So. We don't have a position because we've been ho- solely focused on medical. I- obviously, some of our members um, think about it, and they want it to happen. Some of them don't. Some of them like it being the medical program, and they want to keep it that way because they got into it purely for the patient aspect. So um, I-, I don't know if that necessarily answers your question, but-, but it's a very nebulous topic, and I know some bills have been introduced. We don't have a position on it uh, at all. Okay. Uh, but
1: am I wrong that? you've seen states that have started with a medical program that eventually moved to adult use, recreational, however, you know, I mean, oh, whatever yeah. the term yeah, is. Like we, we've
6: seen it happen um, in quite a few states. We've also seen states uh, put that on the ballot and it fails. Uh, I mean, Arkansas just last year, they the voters rejected it and they said, no, we want to stay with medical. OK.
1: Now, it, it, again, folks are you, you can always tell when uh, people are very interested in this topic because we're getting lots of feedback on the on the c text line. Um but uh, they, people have, are, are suggesting, and I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm going to ask you the question: that Colorado has seen an increase in in crime since it legalized marijuana.
6: Do you have any sense of how accurate that is, or or thoughts well, on it? Well, one one such uh, example is, um, you know, uh, drugs in uh, involved in vehicle accidents, right? So when they passed the law in Colorado, they said we're going to start testing every passenger in the car for drugs if there's an accident that we need to test for. So even if somebody in the back seat dinged, you know, positive, it still got logged in the criminal report. So it's kind of hard to look into those statistics of of Colorado and really know um, one way or the other. I I think that, you know, people in Colorado uh, have been consistently seeing it, become more and more a part of what they do. Um, now Mississippi is not Colorado. Right. Because uh,
1: Colorado is full recreational, right? Yes, if you're, it is. If
6: you're 21, you can, yes. you can buy it. Yeah. And and they're making it uh, a little bit more restrictive on, on younger people as well in Colorado. Okay. Um, You know,
1: one other concern that people have expressed is, I mean, how do you make sure that the the doctors who are writing these cards are bonafide uh you know have a have a real medical relationship and you don't end up with the sort of um you know the the, the doctors who are doing nothing you know that where everybody knows you can go in there uh you know for lack of a better analogy you, when you were when you were in college and I'm sure neither of us ever did this but 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 my friends could always tell me what the stores were that you know didn't mind if you brought a doctor's note to get a a, a six pack at, at 18 uh
6: well um <laughs> You know, I don't know if I want to answer about, about my <laughs> college years, um, but you know, it's it's just like with opioid prescriptions, right? I mean, we've done a lot to add oversight um, for doctors that are are over prescribing, and the same boards that govern the way we handle prescriptions in this state are going to be governing medical cannabis, so. You know, I, I've got a lot of faith in them. Um, I think we've done a great job over the past couple of years of curbing against uh, other prescriptions. So I, I think the same kind of malpractice and the same kind of oversight that's been borrowed um, will be applied very well. That makes sense.
1: Uh, one other uh, question that I, I have both have gotten from a lot of people um, is: It true you can't buy firearm from a federally licensed dealer if you're if you have a medical cannabis card? So
6: there is there is a question on there about illegally using uh, medical marijuana. Um, it becomes a problem with the the way that the state and the federal laws are, are at odds. But you know, so is having medical marijuana to begin with. Right. So it, it's all it's all together. There is nothing that would prohibit you from owning guns. Um, and in fact, the bill specifically gives protections uh, from the state of Mississippi that says, you know, the state will do nothing uh, against your gun ownership if you're legally acting under the state law for uh, medical marijuana. Okay.
1: And is there, and we've only got about 30 seconds here, is there any, I know Chuck Schumer had a bill to legalize at the federal level. Is there any movement on that right now
6: uh, on this? There was some movement last year to handle the banking aspect um, and, and make sure that it's a lot easier for federally chartered banks. To bank medical and recreational marijuana businesses, uh, I don't know where that's going. Uh, I do hope that that does pass eventually because we need as much aid from the traditional um, businesses as possible. Okay. Well, look,
1: Ken, you got time for one more segment? Sure. People are, people are clearly very interested in this. It's, well, it's a this fun is, topic. This is Lucian Smith in for Gerard Gibbard here on midday's on Super Talk Mississippi. Everybody, this is Lucian Smith in for Gerard Gibbert here on Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. We're coming to you live from the Element Wealth Studios. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call six oh one nine five seven six zero zero six to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Uh, With us in studio still uh, is Ken Newberger of the Mississippi Medical Marijuana uh, Association. Uh, Somebody on the the c spire text line asked if you were paying to be on ken and ken is not uh and I'm, i'd asked him to stay on for a third segment because based on the number of people engaging on this topic on the text line i think we got a lot of listeners out there who uh who want to talk more about the medical cannabis program and if you want to be part of the conversation i hope you'll join us text 601 that's the c spire text line and i will do my best in this last segment with ken to uh to get it addressed um you know, one thing we were we, we've talked about a little bit before the the, the break. There are, you know, me, medical cannabis is in this, or cannabis generally in in the U.S. is in this sort of weird spot, as you know, where it is legal in some states, but technically it is illegal at the federal level, uh, and obviously there are people who are arrested and prosecuted on a regular basis uh, at the federal level for violating the law. But as I appreciate it, maybe you can explain this a little bit better. The the federal government, uh, the Department of Justice, going back to the Obama administration, has essentially said we're not going to enforce federal marijuana laws if you're in a state that has decided to make some level of marijuana legal.
6: That's, that's correct. So first under the Obama administration, then the Trump administration, now the Biden. Um, they've consistently said, we're going to leave this decision up to the states by not enforcing the law. Um, and there's been a lot of contention in Congress about how to shape the federal law to allow those states to make those decisions. But I- effectively, through the executive branch, nothing's happening. Um, and and it it's given a lot of clarity and help um, to companies across the state i mean as you said we are uh we're now i think at 38 or 39 medical marijuana states so it's now a majority of states are are 39 I, have some I, sort of program it, it's either 38 or 39 i know we were 37 and then at least one came on after us uh, but a lot it's not but, i yeah, mean when i
1: was in high school there i think california had a medical marijuana program and that was that was it right and, and they, the, the feds were still coming in and, and busting people in california right, periodically.
6: right and and that's um and that's still happening because people are growing illegally in California, uh, oh, e- even though they have a legal program um, due to poor oversight, I think, by by the state. But, um, yeah, we have more medical-allowing states uh, than non by a large margin. So the federal government has consistently said we're not going to do anything.
1: Um, which, to me, uh, it seems to me that it would make if, – if that – they're just – that put, seems to me that puts people in an, an uncomfortable spot, even if even if they're legally comfortable. Uh, it's just an odd situation where you have something that's
6: right, and there there are things that are getting considered. And part of the reason I get asked all the time, you know, why why is the federal government not moving to just blanket say like it's okay and states are going to make the decision? Well, there are things like how do you handle interstate commerce, right? How do you determine what is you know a, a medical program like a true medical program? Like we have or a medical name only like what oklahoma has like how do you how do you make those decisions and how do you you know allow states to interact with each other um because they could just sort it out on their own but that's very hard when you consider the constitution and the way that the commerce clause works so there there are a lot of things to, to think through when you craft legislation at the federal level
1: And let, let's let's unpack that the point you made about oklahoma because i think it's a it's an important point you know one of the the major concerns I hear about the medical cannabis program, and at this point, and this is what I've told folks: whether you were for it or against it, and I, I, you, you, I, I was personally against 65 in its original form, uh, and had concerns about the program. But whether you're for it or against it, it's the law now. You know, uh, uh, two thirds just about of Mississippians voted for some form of 65. The legislature, based on public preference, has enacted a medical cannabis program. Now our job is to make sure we've got the best medical cannabis program that we can have that's because right. the, the it's the law. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the big concerns people have is that you're going to have a uh, a medical program that's not really a medical program, that people right. are going to come in and say, well, you know, my hip acts up when it rains a little bit, and I, I think taking four joints home would really help right. me. I mean, it, how, how – do we distinguish – how is our program different from a place like Oklahoma's, and how do we make sure that we don't become a backdoor recreational program where we've told voters um, that, you know, this is going to be a medical program, but really it's, you know, for anybody who wants to, to use what would otherwise be an illegal drug?
6: Right. Um, so, I mean, uh, a lot of it comes down to the, the oversight. We were talking about the way that the Mississippi Medical Board of Licensure, the Mississippi Department of Health oversees this program. Um, But, you know, we're also looking at the way that it's grown and it's made. You know, it's all indoor. It's all has a lot more security. Everything's under a lot more surveillance than Oklahoma. You've got a lot more cleanliness standards. You know, if you're going to process anything in this, you have to also have a food processing permit. So all the same things that go towards uh, food and drug, uh, you know, creation uh, in this state to make sure that you're not making anything that's harmful, that's also here. So we have a, a much higher standard of, uh, creation and growth in this state for what companies can and can't do. Okay, um, as opposed to Oklahoma, where you just send in twenty five hundred dollars and they give you a license.
1: And, and but what about on the card side? I mean, is it tougher to get a, a card here than it is in in Oklahoma, or there, or do they have? Yeah, I mean, they don't more? even have a
6: list of conditions. So yes.
1: Oh really? Yeah, it's just just, it's just a physician yeah, says, yeah, yeah, says mm-hmm. okay. okay. So I assume there you you're, you're you probably are going to end up with some 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 physician that people are going to know. That's the that's the marijuana. That's guy. right. Yeah, I mean yes. Okay. Uh, the um a- a- another concern that I know I have and others have is with with edible products and uh you you hear these stories uh you know where kids are finding gummy bears and uh, you know, I mean, you, you got young kids like I do. Yep. You know, they they're they're eating Legos. So finding a gummy bear on or, a playground, or cardboard boxes.
6: I mean, yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So
1: you're, you know, there is this worry you're going to have a, a child who's going to see something they think is a, a piece of candy, throw it in their mouth, but they're actually ingesting some you know meaningful, uh, meaningful amount of of, of uh, uh, THC containing product. Right. I mean, ha- w- what are we doing to
6: make sure you you don't have that happen? I mean. You know, you can't buy anything that's not in a childproof container to okay. begin with. I mean, that's that's required that you can't leave a dispensary with anything that's not childproof. Um, there's a lot uh, of regulations on what can and can't be marketed, um, and you can't market to children. Um, you can't have anything that would be in shape that would appeal to children. Um, there's there's a lot of so you can't, can you have the the sort of something that looks like a gummy bear? Yeah, well, you can have. Well, I you can't have gummy bears, but you can have gummies. I mean, you know, little like uh, you know, like little vitamin gummies that, that you can you know one a day stuff that you, you can take. I mean, that's, that's right. Still but it, it a, can't be I in the
1: shape thing. of a of a bear like you could. Right? In, yeah. In Tony the Tiger
6: is not out there, you know, <laughs> right? Saying you know, eat my gummies. Um, that that that's what we've done a lot of, but at the same time, it's the same honest that's on people who have prescription medications. Right I mean you you aren't supposed to leave your prescription medications out on the coffee table for your kids to just pick up you know I mean you need to make sure that any kind of medicine is you know locked up you know if you've got uh, a lock box or a kitchen cabinet that you put a lock on you know that's where you want to keep your medicine and that's no different than with cannabis okay
1: well and i think you make an important point about what the shapes that are legal um because mm-hmm. you're right i mean you, you kids will put uh cardboard and would, right. would happily put in a, an opioid pill if they saw it on the ground you got to be you got to be vigilant but it, it hopefully it is helpful that you can't uh can't put it in shapes that would normally look like a piece of candy to, right. uh, to a child. Uh, one question here from the, um, the, the C Spire text line, is medical cannabis stronger than recreational cannabis? Is there, a, is there a difference in terms of the product, or is the difference really the program? It's really the
6: program and the oversight. I mean, I mean, in fact, you know, the way that we have THC limits in this state, it might actually be a little lower. Um, but in other states that have both, typically what you'll see is that the medical program allows for higher higher amounts um, and of THC and of just raw product that you can buy. Um, usually, uh, recreational programs offer less for for regular individuals. Okay.
1: Yeah. So a lot of people were asking whether there was sort of a, a difference.
6: Yeah, it's it's the oversight in the way the programs run, right? I mean, and who can and can't get it. That's the biggest difference, right? And the use. So. Do you have it? I know we said
1: there are about sixteen hundred cards that have been issued. Do you think that number is going to increase as we move forward, or you know how significant of an increase is is reasonable to to, to yeah, expect?
6: I think I think we're going to see an exponential increase over the next year, year and a half. Um, you know, if you look at the amount of conditions that we have and how sick our population of people are here in Mississippi. Because, I mean, we are a very sick state. I, I, I don't like saying that, but we do have a lot of people with a lot of chronic conditions in this state. And if you look at that overlap, um, if you know a small percentage of those people decide that they also want to have medical cannabis as part of their, their treatment, and they, they talk it out with their, their doctor and it makes sense, um, we anticipate there's roughly 140 to 160,000 people who would qualify. Interesting. And as more as
1: dispensaries open, as more people uh, – Use medical cannabis, you'd expect more people yes, to, yeah. to sign up for mm-hmm. it. Ken, you got any any final thoughts here? It's been a been it, three great segments.
6: If anybody in the Jackson area is interested, um, we'll be at the two museums tomorrow at five o'clock in the evening, talking about you know is medical marijuana right for you. We'll have some doctors there to talk about it. We'll have dispensary owners there to talk about how to how to use it. So please come if you, learn, you want to learn more. We'll have food and drink for everybody who shows up tomorrow, five o'clock at two museums. And what's your website? One more time, medical marijuana, ms dot com.
1: Well, Ken, thanks for being with us, and thanks y'all for listening. This is Lucian Smith and for Gerard Gibbert here on Middays on Super Talk, Mississippi.
0: Touch me, baby, change. Love. 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 You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk, Mississippi mm
1: Good afternoon, everybody. It's Lucian Smith in for Gerard Gibbard here on middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Uh, well, you, Ronnie, you've, you've been hitting the uh, the 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 music has really spoken to my experience. Blues traveler, uh, uh, gosh, I'm drawing a blank now, but it's been it, it is music that I listen to uh, driving to and from high school. So I, I'm I'm a fan.
2: Oh yeah. Can't
1: go wrong with Blind Melon or Third Eye Blind. Blind Melon, that was the one I was thinking of. The I th- think I remember the that was the one with the, the video of the girl in the little bee suit, right? Oh, yeah. That was, you know, I, I'm 42. We're, I'm about at the age, you know, I, I remember when people watched music videos on the television, and that was like a thing.
2: Oh, I remember watching a countdown on MTV of like the top 100 music videos, and they were going to give away something big when somebody showed up in one of the music videos and i watched from a hundred and it was like the third one the number three video it was under the bridge by the red hot chili peppers i'll never forget it because there's a scene where the lead singer's running towards the camera and they had edited in the vj or whatever running towards the camera and that was the cue to call the number to win the big whatever prize (laughs) and all i ever got was a busy signal I won a uh a uh, a Walkman
1: and two tickets to the Star Trek convention at the Highland Village not the Highland Village, the uh Holiday Inn that was underneath fifty five uh when I was uh I guess like fourteen thirteen or fourteen. Like back when a Walkman was like buying a computer. Like you didn't oh yeah. You didn't kids didn't get Walkmans, most grown ups didn't have Walkmans, like that was that was a hundred dollar kind of situation, um, but I remember uh, badly one and one. And if you, and I was also a nerd who was watching Star Trek. I mean, I, I this was I wasn't watching Star Trek just to get the Walkman, but when the the local Fox affiliate uh, advertised that if you were the ninth caller to a, a radio station and could answer a trivia question, I was like, you know what, I'm not missing the Star Trek because <laughs> I think I'd asked for a, a Walkman for maybe the two Christmases and birthdays before. And that was, that was well outside of what I was getting, but sure enough, I got to do it. And, uh, and went to the star Trek convention, uh, with my father. So, who has not let me live that down. And as I'm sitting here saying it out loud, I'm thinking, I'm not just talking to Rhino, I'm talking to the tens of thousands of people
2: who tune in to Super Talk Mississippi. And it's okay, uh, nerds are cool now. Hey, I, I 100% agree.
1: I, it only took me 30 years for us to get there, but it worked out.
2: Speaking of the Walkman, have you seen the latest news on that? No. Apparently, Sony is getting back into the game with a music player, and it is... Very much in the vein of the Walkman. Really? But it's like if the Walkman and the old iPod Touch, the, the non-smartphone music device from Apple, huh? it's like if the Walkman and the iPod Touch had a baby. Really? Well, I'll, I'll have to
1: look that up. I assume that's not that's going to be a touch more expensive than like the $16 numbers you could get at Radio Shack. Oh, yeah. It's going to be
2: more akin to the Walkman you were trying to get, where it's, uh, I want to say the starting pr- asking price was around $300. Whew. That's that's more than I'm. I, I mean, I'll check it out though. That's pretty cool. Nostalgia has a lot of sway, but I don't know if it's got three Benjamins worth of sway, especially not nowadays. I mean, that's
1: the difference. Uh, you know, you know this, and I suspect most of the people who listen to Super Talk. But if there are any uh, if there are any uh, Gen Z uh, folks out there listening, you you may not remember there was a time when your telephone couldn't play music, and it, it, you had to have some sort of other device. I remember feeling fancy because I had a a Discman when I graduated from high school with the cassette adapter so I could get in my car and stick the cassette adapter in. And so long as you didn't hit any bumps, you could sit there and listen to whatever CDs you wanted to. And I found – we were cleaning out my folks' old house, and I found hundreds of these CDs. Now, you know, 30 years on, they're all – Probably too scratched up for me, for me to be able to download them and turn them into, into MP3s, if that's even still a thing. Uh, but I remember that phase, too.
2: And now, for some odd reason, it I want to say the burned CDs from that era just degraded over time and don't work as well, but even some of the CDs from that era, modern CD players or any disk drive that you have can sometimes have a hard time, even if it's scratch-free even just playing them because the the tech is different? Because the the brain behind the tech has changed so much in that time. Do people still make Like mixtape, I mean, I'm sure they're no longer the formats, not mixtapes. But like, are boys
1: giving girls some sort of series of songs and? I think they just
2: link them to a Spotify playlist
1: now. That doesn't seem nearly as cool. No, I mean, I remember getting a cassette in like 1996 from a girl, and I was like, man, this is the life. This is this is all right right here. Well, y'all, this has been Lucian Smith in for Gerard Gibbert on midday's on Super Talk Mississippi. Thank you for letting me spend three hours with you today, and have a great rest of your week.
2: I'm started ringing her bell and it'll feel like the whole wide world is raining